encourage you to get a Bible. If you don't have one, perhaps there is uh, one close by and a pew, or get your tablet out or your phone, and let's turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel ought to be familiar to us. We have recently studied through the book of Daniel as we came through the prophets, and we've looked at the book of Daniel along with other Old Testament books. Let's talk about some things in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, as you know, was taken into captivity in the first group. They went away in groups as they came back in groups. He was in the first group in 606 B.C. Daniel was a young man, perhaps 18 or 20 years of age. If you could get the picture of a young high school graduate, maybe first year of college, that's the age Daniel probably was when he was taken into captivity and went from Judah over into Babylon. And now he's in the land of Babylon as a young man of 18 to 20 years of age. He lived there for the duration of the captivity, which lasted for 70 years. So from the time the captivity started to the captivity ends, Daniel is there during that time. And we're going to see that picture even in our study this morning. So let's turn to chapter 1. Chapter 1 of the book of Daniel deals with Daniel's test as a captive. Now there's very familiar stories scattered all through the book of Daniel, but you are familiar with Daniel chapter 1. I want to rehearse some things in chapter 1, not just focus on all the details of chapter 1. We're going to build a lesson around some things found in chapter 1. But let's look at chapter 1, Daniel's test as a captive. Three things happen in the chapter, and let's look at verses 1 to 7, get a summary of that. Daniel and his friends are selected for special training. So beginning at verse 1, you'll have the date in your Bible probably from a previous study that this is about 606, 605 B.C. But the Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came and besieged Jerusalem. That's the first siege. And that's when he comes in for the first time and he takes captives and takes him off to Babylon. The text tells me that the king instructed his masters of his eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel back with him Descendants of some of the nobles, get some of the choice young men and bring them back in this, in this siege and bring them to, to Babylon. Look at verse 4. Young men in whom there is no blemish, good looking, gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick in understanding, who have the ability to serve the king's palace, whom we may teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. We want to train them and instruct them to serve the king. So get the choice young men you can find. Get the best you can find, the smartest, the best looking men, and bring them captive. And that was including Daniel. Now notice at verse 6, there was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We better know them as Daniel, Meshach, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found in verse 7. And so they are taken and they're put before the king and they're there for training. So they were selected for special training, verses 1 to 7. And they're taken into captivity. Now let's pick up at verse 8. Daniel refuses some of the things that are offered before him. He refuses to defile himself beginning at verse 8. Now notice the text says that Daniel purposed in his heart. We'll come back to verse 8 a little bit later. That he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel refused to eat of the things that were put before him. What was that? Well, we're not sure. It could be that there was uh, meat that had been sacrificed in honor unto idols and he couldn't eat of that. Maybe it was something that was eating in honor of an idol, some have suggested. 
Others suggested maybe that the meat wasn't bled properly, violating Leviticus chapter 17, or maybe it was one of the meats forbidden in Leviticus 11. Whatever the case may be, Daniel could not conscientiously eat that and honor and serve the God of heaven. And so he said, I'm not going to eat of it. And I want to know if I can be excused from eating that, he says at verse 8. Now notice beginning at verse 9, now God brought Daniel into favor in the goodwill of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said, I fear my Lord. I said to Daniel, I fear my Lord the king who has appointed food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men your age? In other words, and then notice further he said, he said, then would you endanger my head before the king? You're not only endangering your life, you're endangering my life. You see, I'm in charge of you, and when the king comes in to examine you, why should you look worse than all the others your same age? If you don't eat of the, of the this is supposed to make you look better. So Daniel proposed this proposition. He said, why don't you put it to the test and let me eat vegetables and water, and then all everybody else eat of the king's delicacies, and let's see how it looks in 10 days. And so the eunuch agreed to that. And you know the rest of the story, that at the end of 10 days, verse 15, the countenance appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate of the king's delicacies. And so he took the, the portions away and gave them only vegetables to eat. Now then, let's pick up at verse 17 to verse 21. God rewards his faithful servants, including Daniel and his three friends. And the text says, at verse 17, as for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all the literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the days, verse 17 says, verse 18 says, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought, in before, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them and found none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. They were found ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers. And chapter 1 ends, thus Daniel continued, until the first year of King Cyrus. That's 70 years later. Now that's a summary of chapter 1. But now I want you to think for a moment about Daniel's example. Last week we talked about Moses, a man who lived right in a world so wrong. That he lived in an environment that was contrary to the will of God. And yet here was a man that followed the principles of living right. I want to adapt to that principle and talk about another Bible character that does much the same thing. And that is Daniel's example. Daniel is an example of one who can survive and thrive, even though they're living in an ungodly environment. Daniel is not living among God's people in, in Jerusalem. Daniel is in Babylon in an ungodly environment. He's being put to the test from the get-go. He's going to be challenged time and again. There is an attempt to punish him because he's not willing to bow to the will of God. Here is an example of one living godly in an ungodly world. Daniel was a man that was ready for life's challenges. When he came to a challenge, he's ready for it because he prepared for that. We're going to see that as our lesson continues. He was ready because of his commitment to God. Now, let's talk for a little while this morning about Daniel, a man ready for life's challenges. Are you ready for life's challenges? Perhaps you're thinking, I'm going to get ready one day. I'm not ready now. I'm not, I'm not even a Christian yet. I'm thinking about being one someday. But one of these days, maybe I'll get ready. But I'm not ready for life's challenges right now. Daniel wasn't that way. I want to see a man in Daniel from his youth was a man who was ready for life's challenges. Like Moses, he lived right in a world so wrong. 
So Daniel was a man that was ready for life's challenges. What do you see? Three things we're going to consider. Let's consider, first of all, Daniel's commitment to God was early. Daniel's commitment to God was early. Now, there's nothing wrong if one who has not been committed to God, they're late in their life and they're ready to commit their life to God, to make their commitment to God in their old age. They have no choice, but if they're going to commit to God, they've got to do it now. But that wasn't Daniel. Daniel committed his life early. Notice in chapter 1 and verse 4, that when Nebuchadnezzar the king sent his men into, into, into uh, Judah, he says, find young men in whom there is no blemish, good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand who have the ability to serve the king's palace. Look for some young men. Look for some young men. And that fit Daniel to the T. Daniel's commitment was early. And I see in that he was a man, a young man who remembered his creator in the days of his youth. You remember in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before what? Before you get old. When maybe serving God's a little more difficult. When the challenges of life begin to set in. That's what the context is talking about. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Daniel was such a man. He remembered his creator in the days of his youth. Like Joseph before him. You remember Joseph, the young man Joseph? Perhaps a man about the same age as Daniel is at this time. He's carried off into Egypt. He's sold to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife begins to seduce him and he resists, keeps saying, no, 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 I will not yield. He was a man who committed very early in his life. I'm going to serve God. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, Joseph said. He committed early to service to God. Like Timothy after him. He's just one of many examples we can find of those who make their commitment in their youth. Let's go to 2 Timothy and look at some things about Timothy. And Timothy was a man just like Joseph, just like Daniel, who served God in his youth. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 5. And I'm raising a question here concerning our commitment early. Maybe you need to be making your commitment early. Maybe your children are too small to be making a commitment to God, but you can start training them so they will be committed to God. Are you doing that? Let me look at an example of that right here with Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. You're committed to God. Which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. You see, he was trained early to be committed to God. Your mother and your grandmother had faith and they committed that faith to you. Look at chapter 3 and verse 15. Same book. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. That word childhood is an interesting word. That word is used of a babe, whether inside the womb or outside the womb, but never is used of older than a toddler. That's an interesting word. That from a childhood, from your smallest of ages... Not bigger than a toddler, you were learning the scriptures. Are your children learning the scriptures? You want your, your children to be like Daniel, ready for life's challenges? Are you making sure they know the scriptures? Do you have them in Bible class? Are you teaching them from childhood the holy scriptures? So they know the stories of Daniel. They know the stories of Joseph. They know the story of Timothy. That from childhood you've known the holy scriptures. 
go to the book of Philippians. We're still talking about Timothy as an example of one who remembered his creator in the days of his youth. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Paul, in commending Timothy, he said that I trust, in beginning at verse 19, Philippians 2, 19, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may be encouraged to know of your state. I have confidence in Timothy. I'm sending Timothy. He's going to talk to you. He's going to deal with you. He's going to report back to me, and I have confidence in Timothy. Why do you say that, Paul? For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. I don't know if anybody have more confidence in than Timothy. Look at verse 21. For all seek their own and not the things which are Christ. Timothy's different from everybody else. Others are only interested in serving themselves, perhaps at Timothy's age, but Timothy is interested in serving God. He made a commitment to remember his creator in the days of his youth. Are you doing that and are you teaching your children to do that? He was a man ready for life's challenges. He remembered his creator in the days of his youth. He was a young man who stood by his godly conviction. Here was a young man who stood by his godly convictions. Go back to Daniel chapter 1. He's a young man who had convictions. I'll not eat of this meat. I'll not eat of that meat. I'll not drink of this wine. Now that's easy to do when you're surrounded by people who have the same convictions. But now he gets off in Babylon over here. And it would be easy to back away and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's going to be different now because I'm surrounded by a different environment. Here was a man who said, I'm not going to eat of that. I refuse to eat of that. I refuse to eat of that. I want to tell you, he didn't leave God when he left home. That happens to many young people. when They go to church in their youth. They go to Bible class in their youth. And as soon as they go off to college, as soon as they leave home, they leave their God behind them. They don't take their God with them. They're not interested in God anymore. They're not interested in the Bible. They're not interested in church. Here was Daniel when he got away from home as a young man. He took his God with him. He didn't leave his God when he left home. He didn't try to blend into the Babylonian society and the Babylonian lifestyle. You see, over here they eat that meat. Over there we didn't. I believe I'll eat the meat. Over there we didn't drink that wine, but I'll drink the wine over here. Because when you're in Babylon, you've got to live like the Babylonians. I cite Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to the world. Here's the idea of the world putting pressure and molding and shaping you to be just like it. And Babylon is trying to shape and mold Daniel to be just like the Babylonians. And Daniel said, I refuse. I'm not going to do it. Daniel's commitment was early. He remembered his creator in the days of his youth. He didn't forget his godly convictions. He stood by those. And here was a young man with a decided advantage over late starters. How so? Daniel is the kind of man that has fewer wasted years to regret. As I said earlier, suppose someone is ready to commit to the Lord in their old age and they have been ungodly and now they're 80, maybe 90 years old and they're ready to commit to God. That's what they need to do. They've got a lot of years to look back and they regret the years of wasted service, but not Daniel. He had a decided advantage over late starters. He has fewer wasted years to look back and regret. I wish I'd never lived that. Wished I'd never done that. Wished I'd never tried that. What a waste of time. What a waste of my life. Daniel doesn't have those regrets when he gets to be 90 years old. We're going to see Daniel a little bit later when he's 90. He has this decided advantage because he has now more time to develop spiritual strength. 
You submit to God late in your life. You can grow what you can, do what you can, but you do not have the same advantage of one in their youth who have many years to grow and develop and become strong. Daniel had that advantage. Here's a man ready for life's challenges. You say, what made him so ready for life's challenges? He committed to God early. Are you committed to God early in your life? Are you training your children and molding and shaping them in that direction so they're committed early to life? Maybe we look around at our children and say, you know what, they don't seem to be committed. Maybe it's because we didn't try to instill this commitment to them very early in their life. And unlike Daniel, they're not remembering their creator. Unlike Daniel, they're not standing by their godly convictions. And unlike Daniel, they do not have a decided advantage over late starters. Daniel is a man who was ready for life's challenges. Like Moses who lived right in a world so wrong, Daniel is facing challenges. How did he do it? Daniel's commitment was complete. Daniel's commitment was early. Daniel's commitment was complete. Look at verse 8 of our chapter. We're studying for chapter 1. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. What I want you to see when I say it's complete, that Daniel's commitment was within and without what do you mean by that? Well, it's possible that one could have a, an attitude of this is what I want to do, but they don't have the courage to outwardly do what they know they need to do. I want to serve God. I want to do what's right, but I don't have the courage to do that, especially in the face of opposition. Secretly, they're trying to serve God, but they're not outwardly doing that. There are others that may put on an outward form, but inwardly their heart's not there. Daniel had both. Look at verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It's one thing to make a plan, and then when it comes time to execute the plan, it falls apart. Not Daniel. Daniel had a plan, and when it came time, he said, I'm not eating it. I'm not doing it. No. Joseph was that way. His commitment was complete. Now, I want to suggest to you that his commitment was complete, and that's reflected in all of his outward conduct. What do I mean by that? Our outward actions reflect our inward thoughts. That's an old principle that we all know well. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. You know these passages. Perhaps as you're turning there, you can even quote these passages. And we'll start, since I happen to turn there first, with the second one first, Proverbs 23, 7. Then we'll jump back over to chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 7, or 23 and in verse 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's talking in the context of a miser, but here's the point. The point is, as a man thinks, that's what he's really like. What's going on in his mind, that's the real man. So if Daniel is committing his mind and his heart then he's really committed to God. His commitment was complete. Let's go to chapter 4, same book, Proverbs. For with your heart, notice Proverbs chapter 4, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That is, keep your heart pure, keep your mind focused, keep your heart in the direction toward things that are right, because out of your heart and out of your mind and out of your thoughts comes how you live. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 8 of the book of Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart. 
I want to tell you that's a deeper motive than merely trying to impress other young men. Why did Daniel say, no, I'm not eating it? He has a deeper motive. I'm trying to do what's right in the sight of God. And how do I know his, com his commitment was complete? Because it's reflected in his outward action saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's a far deeper motive than this may impress some others. That's a deeper motive than merely trying to show defiance to his captors. They're not going to make me do this. Daniel's not interested in whether they make him do anything or not. He's trying to live in harmony with the will of God and what he knows to be right. Daniel's commitment was complete. He was ready for life's challenges. It was complete, and that's reflected by being unmoved by the pomp and the power of the royal palace. Remember Moses last week, we talked about that he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It means he had access to the palace, to the king. Perhaps even an heir to the throne, some have suggested. Moses was unmoved. So is Daniel. Daniel never compromised for temporary advantage or ease. He's serving the king. Now, whether you like him or not, current or former or future, if you had the opportunity to serve the president in the White House, pick your president, your favorite one, and you have the opportunity to serve, and then you're challenged to do something and you may be out of favor with the president if you do what's right, but you could be in favor and maybe gain advantage if you do what they ask. What would you do? I want to tell you there's a world of people, perhaps any one of us could be self-included, be impressed with the pomp and the power and the fame, where this could take me. But he didn't compromise for temporary advantage or ease. He is unmoved by that pomp and the power of the royal palace. Go to chapter 2. I know we've been in chapter 1, but look at chapter 2. When he was asked to interpret the dream, he made a statement that makes us aware of the fact that he was always aware of a greater presence than the power of the king. Notice he said, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. The king wants to know, what, what's this? tell me my dream and then tell me the interpretation. I want you to tell me. He said, there is a God of heaven. There's a greater presence than you, king. His commitment was complete, and that's reflected being unmoved by the pomp and the power of the royal palace. But I want to suggest to you that his commitment was complete because that's reflected by his accepting risk of not conforming. I want to tell you, when you decide, I'm not going to conform to the pressures of the world, you're taking risk. Daniel took risk. He risked the special treatment of that selected group. They were chosen for a selected job. They were given special privileges. All of that could be taken away. But greater, greater still, he's risking his life. Because I want to tell you, to a pagan king, life was cheap. Daniel had to recognize, if he's a man of wisdom and understanding that the text tells us he was, that he had to recognize I'm risking my life by telling him I'm not going to eat of this. Evidence? You remember the fiery furnace later for his three friends? 
Remember another king who offered to put him into the lion's den? More about that in a moment. And did. He risked his life. And he risked that of his friends. The same kind of risk that his friends took a little bit later. Let's go to chapter 3. See, they were just like Daniel. Look at chapter 3. Remember in the, 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 the fiery furnace uh, that was heated? That if you don't bow down before this image, then you're going to be cast in the burning fiery furnace. And um, listen, verse 16, they said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, this is Daniel's three friends saying this. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you of this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he'll deliver us from you, O king. Go ahead and throw us in the furnace. God will deliver us, but, 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 but if not, let it be known that we will not serve your gods nor will we worship the golden image you set up. We think God will deliver us, but he may not. And if he doesn't, that's okay. Because we're not going to serve your, your God. We're not going to do that. They accepted the risk. Are you willing to accept the risk? Is your commitment complete? Is your commitment inward as well as outward? And is it outward reflecting what's going on in your heart? Is that lack of dedication on the outside reflective of a lack of dedication on the inside? Or is it reflecting in your life that you are completely dedicated to God? Are you unmoved by any powers that are against you? Are you willing to accept the risk of not conforming? But here's the third and final thing. Daniel was a man who was ready for life's challenges. Daniel's commitment was early. Daniel's commitment was complete. And Daniel's commitment was lasting. Daniel's commitment was lasting. Chapter 1, verse 21. This is the end, end of the chapter. Not the end of the book, but the end of the chapter. This is interesting. The chapter opens in 605, 606 or 605 B.C. When they first go into captivity, how long was it to last? 70 years. Jeremiah said... And suddenly at the end of the chapter, we fast forward 70 years and it said, thus Daniel continued into the first year of King Cyrus. That's 70 years later. That's 70 years later. 70 years is a long time. So what we have now is Daniel as an old man about 90 years old. If he was 18 to 20, Going into captivity, he's about 90 years old. If this were a movie, we see him as a young man going off and he's this young, vibrant man. And now suddenly we have the picture change and we see this man who's aged and he's 90 years old. He's on the other end of the captivity. And he's still faithful and he's still strong. The years of struggle have not worn him down. Have you ever seen someone that, that served the Lord and they just seem to get tired of serving the Lord and they get tired of the struggles, they get tired of the battles, they get tired of fighting and finally they're just ready to throw up their hands and quit? Not Daniel. Oh, if Daniel ever fought, he's willing to fight even more this time. And I will tell you, the years of service, all those 70 years and more, Prepared him for the lion's den. Turn to Daniel chapter 6 with me. This is a fascinating chapter. You remember the book is divided into sections, and by that I mean that there is the, 
the Babylonian period, and then there is the Medo-Persian period. And we jump over to that in Daniel chapter 6. This is under the Medo-Persian rule. This is seven years later. Daniel's an old man now. We're not talking about a 20-year-old. We're talking about a 90-year-old now. And what I want you to get a picture of is that Daniel's commitment was lasting. That man that we saw back over here 70 years earlier saying, I won't eat of that. No, 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 I won't do that. This is the same man. Hasn't lost any strength. Hasn't lost any fortitude. He still has that same kind of faith. Look at chapter 6 now. I want you to notice this test. There was the jealousy of the wise men and the decree of Darius. That is Darius the Mede. He's king. And I want you to notice now that the text says that uh, Daniel distinguished himself, I'm reading at verse 3, above the governors and because of the excellent spirit that was in him. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel. They're jealous and they're, uh, of Daniel. So they finally figured out, beginning at verse 5, that these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, we can't find him violating the law of his God, nor doing anything wrong, but we can make our law in violation of his God's law, and then we've got him. So they go to the king and say, why don't you make a decree that anyone who bows down to anyone except for you be thrown in the lion's den? He signs the decree. We got him. We got him. So beginning at verse 10, what does Daniel do? He does what he's always done. Notice at verse 10. Notice at verse 10. That day he knelt down on his knees. When Daniel knew the writing was signed. It's not that he didn't know. He knew the writing was signed. He knew it. And he went to his upper room and he opened the window and he knelt down on his knees three times that day and he prayed and gave thanks to God as was his custom since the early days. Daniel hadn't changed. His commitment was lasting. That's what I want you to see. So the men who are against him, they go and tell the king that, that Daniel told you he's problem. He's bowing before his God and praying. He's not praying. He's praying to his God. That's what he's doing. King could do nothing but follow through. Notice beginning at verse 16, Daniel is delivered into the lion's den and then he's delivered from the lion's den. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice a phrase that's used three times in this context, or twice, and one similar. Look at verse 16. So the king gave command and brought Daniel and cast him to the lion's den. But the king spoke to him saying, Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually. Oh, we all know what you do, Daniel. We know you serve God continually. He will deliver you. I'm going to have to follow through with my decree, and I'm going to put you in the lion's den, but I know God will deliver you. It's that God you serve continually. Your commitment has been lasting. And so they did. When the king went to his palace, he didn't sleep that night. When he came back to the den, he cried out to Daniel, verse 20. And he said, Daniel, the servant of the living God, has your God, here we go again, whom you serve continually able to deliver you. And Daniel answered, God had delivered him. Look at verse 24, verse 23 rather, the end of verse 23. That there was no injury in him whatsoever was found in him because he believed in his God. He served God continually. The decree of Darius praises the living God because He is the one true and living God. What I want you to see is he served God continually. He never gave up. 
And as an old man now, he could look back over the years of a life of spiritual growth. Picture what it would be like to be Daniel at 90. Particularly after he's come out of this lion's den, he's been delivered. And not only does he know this, but the king has been saying, you serve God continually. Just like you did when you came to Babylon. When you were 18 to 20 years old. He could look back over his years and see continual growth. Do you want your children to be able to look back over their years when they get to be 90 years old and say, you know what, from my youth, from my youth this was instilled in me and I was ready for life challenges and I see what I was able to do. You say, you do? Better get busy. Better get busy. Better make sure they're in church. Better make sure they're in Bible class. Make sure you teach them at home. Make sure you're setting the example before them. Or your children will not be ready for life's challenges. Daniel could look back and see that by the time he refused the king's food in chapter 1, he had the character that he needed. He needed character. When they put the food before him and said, this is what you're going to eat. By the time that food was set there and he needed to refuse it, he had the character. By the time he needed to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he had the wisdom God had given him that he needed. By the time he needed to interpret the handwriting on the wall, he had gained the reputation. Remember Belshazzar said, I have heard of you. Remember that? I've heard about you. He built a reputation. By the time he faced the lion's den, he had the fortitude he needed. Go ahead and cast me. Whatever. And by the time he needed the help to help the Jew, deliver the Jews during Cyrus' reign, he had the influence that he needed. Are you ready for life's challenges? Daniel was ready. He lived in an ungodly society. Oh, it wasn't an ungodly society. Where he lived and the circumstances wasn't any better than Moses. Moses lived right in a world so wrong and Daniel was ready for all of those challenges because he made his commitment early. His commitment was complete and his commitment was lasting. Are you committed to God? Have you made your commitment that you're going to serve God to the day that you die? Have you made the commitment that you need to serve the living God? If you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?